Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, we're going to do something a little bit different today. We are structuring our service a little bit different. We are going to go back into worship at the end of the message. Um, but we're going to do the message first and have an extended time of worship at the end, and that'll make a lot more sense once you hear the message. But uh, is that all right? Can we do things a little differently today? Can we like engage in worship or engage in the sermon before we've had a good 20, 30 minutes of worship? Can we do that this morning? Yeah. I, I believe in you guys. We can do it. All right. Well, today we are continuing in a series that we've been doing over the last several weeks called Disciple, which is all about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And what we've been saying is that being a disciple of Jesus is really organized around three values or goals, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus does. So those are, those are the basic ideas behind of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this is, I find, a really helpful way to, to process and look at what the Christian life is all about. This is really our goal. These are what, this is what we're after, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. And we've been looking at these different points over the last several weeks. And in the second half of this series, we have started looking at some of the practices of Jesus, the habits, the ways of Jesus. And there's a good reason for that, because if you'd gone back to the first century and seen Jesus with his disciples, not only were they learning his teachings, they were also watching how he lived. They were watching his habits, his lifestyle, all the different things that he did. This is what disciples did. They, They learned to emulate their rabbis. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we've got to do the same thing, learn how to uh, how to emulate, to live like Jesus. And so as a result, you know, if you look at what the, the, the ways, the habits that Jesus had in his life, we should expect to emulate those ourselves. And if you look through the New Testament, you see Jesus doing certain things over and over and over again. He prayed, he, he studied the scriptures, he fasted, he practiced solitude, he practiced the Sabbath, he, he practiced public worship, he lived simply, he gave to the poor, on and on it goes. These practices were things that Jesus did, and this wasn't just something that Jesus does that we're just supposed to think, wow, that's really cool that Jesus did that. This is something we are meant to emulate. This is something, he, he, was, he was living his life as a model for us. And so, When we look at the practices of Jesus, we should also be asking ourselves, how can we incorporate the practices, the habits, the ways of Jesus into our life? A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus was a man of prayer, which I kind of find extraordinary. You'd think if anybody didn't need to pray, it would be Jesus, but Jesus was absolutely a man of prayer. We see all throughout the Gospels him constantly praying and talking to his Father in this ongoing dialogue. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus practiced community, community, that, you know, Jesus wasn't just some some, uh, sage up on a mountain that occasionally would come down to dispense his wisdom to the masses. Jesus lived his life in intense community. And today, we're going to look at the practice of worship, the practice of worship. Now, When you think about worship, I imagine what comes to mind for most of you is what we just did, singing a song, singing a hymn. That's normally what we think of, um, singing in church when we think about worship. Now, that's 
normal for us as Christians. You know, if you've been a part of the church for a long time, you expect that. We're going to come to church, we're going to sing some songs together, we're going to listen to a message, that's just the normal routine. But I'm always aware as a pastor when somebody's here that maybe has not been to church before, wow, let it rain, Lord. It's prophetic. (laughs) Um, uh, So what I'm always aware of is when somebody comes to church and they've not been around before, and then we start worshiping. What, they always kind of stand up and are sort of looking around like, what, what am I supposed to do here? And, and it just look, they look confused and they look like this is a weird thing. And I would just want you to know, first of all, if you are not a Christian and you're here this morning, I am so glad you're here. This is a great Sunday for you to be here. I also want you to know that I empathize with you in that moment because think about it. When is the last time you stood up with a group of people to sing songs together once you were out of primary school? I mean, we did it in primary school, right? But I, I can think of three examples of when we, we do this as adults. When we sing the national anthem, God Save the Queen, so you're at a, a national event and we, we, you know, we stand up and we sing that together. And then maybe uh, if you're a football supporter, uh, you, you, know, you might sing chants or songs when your team comes on the pitch, you know. Uh, or maybe if you're at a concert and you, and you love the songs that are, that are being sung and you just want to sing with it, those are really the only times I can think of or maybe karaoke, I suppose, um, but, but karaoke is kind of awkward. We just kind of laugh at the person who's singing most of the time. But we don't often stand and sing together in groups, do we? So it seems strange, but I want it to reframe how we think about worship a little bit this morning, because we think of worship, as I said, as a Christian thing. But actually, worship is not just a Christian thing. Worship is a human thing. You see, God created all of us to be worshipers, and we will all worship something or someone. And you could be a committed Christian, or you could be an ardent atheist, and we will all be worshipers. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, who do you worship? We think of worship as, you know, singing, but really worship is more than that. It's, it's whatever gets your ultimate allegiance. It's whatever gets your, your time, your money, your affection. It's what you spend a lot of time thinking about. The Bible calls these, uh, if it's, uh, well, <laughs> we'll get to that later, but it's whatever gets your allegiance, your affection, your, all those things. And so it could be a God. I mean, you know, we hear we worship God, but it maybe you're a follower of another faith and you worship whatever God is in that faith. But it could also be a person. You know, we, we worship like celebrities or, or political uh, uh, people that are, you know, famous politicians. Um, you know, I was thinking about uh, uh, Elvis Presley. You know, obviously one of the most popular rock stars of all time. And when Elvis would come into the room at the height of his fame, people would scream, they'd shout, they'd raise their hands. Women would literally pass out when he was in the room because they were so enthralled just to be in the same room, to be in the presence of the king, right? That was worship. Worship could, t- we could worship ideologies, a lot of the isms in the world. Are, are things that people worship. We worship things like science. Science has all the answers. Our culture 
I believe, really worships science. Uh, we worship sexuality. That's one of the highest and greatest goods that we see in our culture. We worship the planet. We've got this conference going on up in Glasgow right now that is all about saving the planet, and I'm all for being responsible stewards like God commanded us to be, but sometimes it, I think that goes past that into worship of the planet. We worship success, we worship power, we worship possessions, and some of you may even worship your football team. I mean, if you've ever been to a match here at United or Wednesday, I've been at both. I'm sorry if that offends you, because I know that's <laughs> saying that will offend half the room. But you know, those songs start, and what happens? Man, arms go up, and people just begin pouring out their affection for this football team. And what's happening in those stadiums is very much an act of worship. But the question that we have to answer for ourselves is who do you worship? See, we've all got to answer that question because all of us are worshipers, and there are all kinds of things vying for our worship. Jesus himself had to answer this question. In the Gospel of Matthew, we're told about the temptations that Jesus experienced, and I don't have time to go through the whole story before... Uh, the whole story this morning, you remember he's baptized by John and then he goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted there after 40 days of fasting. The devil himself comes to tempt him and he gives him three temptations, but I want to skip to the third temptation because this temptation is a worship temptation. It says this, next the devil took him to a, the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Presumably, this was a vision of some sort. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Notice what the devil is after there. He's after Jesus' worship. He's asking Jesus this question. He's saying, who are you going to worship? Who are you going to submit to? Are you going to submit to your father? Or are you going to submit to and worship me? Because if you worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And this was not an empty promise that the devil was making. The Bible calls him the prince of this world, meaning he has authority in, in, the, in these different realms. And I think this is something he really could have given to Jesus. So this was a very real offer. This was a shortcut maybe to Jesus achieving his goal. And it's a worship question. He's saying, Jesus, if you'll just worship me, if you'll give me your allegiance, if you'll give me your affection, if you'll give me your worship, then this is what I'm going to give you. But look at how Jesus responds. He says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus reminds him that there is only one that is worthy of worship, and it's God. See, all those other things that we worship, you know, all, all the other people, all the other ideologies, all the other things that we go for in our culture that we worship and give our hearts to, the Bible calls those idols. And we're so given, if you read through the Old Testament, it's really a story of worship. It's a story of the idolatry of the people of Israel, and then they come back to God, and then they go away from God, and they just keep falling for these idols. And that's what I want us to understand this morning, is there's a competition vying for your worship, and we think, hey, this thing promises me life, this thing promises me happiness, I'm going to pursue that thing, and therefore I'm going to give it everything, I'm going to worship that thing. This is the battle that we all have to fight. And we all have to recognize, though, that there's only one worthy of worship, as Jesus said there, 
and is God himself. See, worship is ultimately, it's an act of surrender. It's an act of allegiance to whatever it is that you worship. But as Christians, I want to define worship this way, all right? As Christians, I would say this. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done, expressed by our words and our actions. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done, expressed through our words and through our actions. So I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, worship is a response. I think we might think of it as, hey, I choose to worship, and there is a sense in which we choose to do that. We, we make an act, a decision to worship God, but really, true worship is a response to God's initiative. God is a God who initiates with us. It says in, in uh, 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us, right? So God takes the initiative. He loves us, and we respond to him with love. See, the, the scriptures are full of examples of God initiating with his people, God, God reaching out to his people. You know, you see God coming to Adam and Eve in the garden. You see God through Jesus coming to the world and drawing all people to himself as he's crucified on the cross. God initiates with us, and we respond in worship. The author Richard Foster says it this way. He says, worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. I love that. Worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. We, we experience the love of God in some way. We experience His kindness, His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His protection, His provision, and we respond in worship. And so if you don't know where to start with worshiping God, if, if you're, this whole thing is new to you, if you find worship to be a dry experience, I want you to start with His love for you which is demonstrated to us through Jesus who died on a cross for us. This is how we know that God loved us, through the death of Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice of Christ for us. God loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what other people say about you. God loves you deeply. That is the place, the foundation of worship. We respond to his overtures of love for us. But worship isn't just about singing songs. Worship is meant to be a lifestyle. Like I said there, if we go back to that definition, it's not just about our deeds or about our words. It's about our deeds. It's our actions. Worship is expressed by our words and our actions. And so we are actually, worship is meant to be a lifestyle. Eventually, everything that we do becomes an act of worship. So whether you're changing a nappy or whether you are caring for a sick child in the middle of the night, or you're singing a song in church, or you're studying the Bible, or you're working, or you're cooking, or whatever it is that you're doing, all of it can become an act of worship. All of it is a way of expressing uh, your love for God. You know, we've got to recognize that, that how we behave on a night out with our friends is just as much an expression of worship as standing and singing together. That, that resisting temptation is just as much an expression of worship as going to church. All of it is part of this lifestyle that, that is worship. But you don't get to that lifestyle of worship without having opportunities to pray, without developing those muscles and practicing worship uh, in, in focused settings like this one. You don't just flip a switch and be like, bam, I'm going to live a lifestyle of worship. It takes practice. It takes 
transforming and renewing your mind, as it says in Romans 12. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We learn how to think differently. We learn how to see things from Jesus's perspective. We learn how to recognize the blessings and the gifts that God's given us. And, and that comes, that kind of recognition and training comes when we have times of focused worship like what we're doing here this morning. So I want to take the rest of our time here to explain why we worship. What is the point of worship? And, and I want to help you understand kind of the, 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 what, what we're trying to achieve when we gather together and do this strange thing where we sing songs together. What is the point of all this? But first, I just want to take a brief look at worship in the life of Jesus. You see, if you look at the Gospels, you, you see little hints of the practice of worship happening in the life of Jesus. And first of all, we know that Jesus was immersed in a culture of worship because that's what the Jewish culture does. They, they are worshipers. In fact, the book of Psalms, if you don't know, that was the Jewish hymn book. 150 different songs expressing the full range of devotion to God. This is what Psalms were all about. And so the people, they knew the Psalms well. Any devout Jew would have known the Psalms from memory, probably the whole thing. And so Jesus would have known the Psalms. He would have been immersed in this culture of worship. And, and we get a little glimpse of that when uh, at the end of the Passover meal, or sorry, at the end of the Last Supper, which was the, the, the Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples just a few hours before he was betrayed, arrested, and crucified, we get this little hint in Matthew 26, 30. It says this, they sang a hymn at the conclusion of their meal. They sang a hymn and then went out to the Mount of Olives. Just a little throwaway line there, but that throwaway line tells us a lot. It tells us that, that there was hymns that all of these guys knew from memory and that they were able to sing it together. <laughs> and that, that tells us that there, there are these hymns that they're using not just in worship services, but they're using them in religious ceremonies like the Passover meal. They're probably using them in private devotions. They're probably using them on the Sabbath. They're probably using them, they're definitely using them when they go to the temple and their annual pilgrimage is there. So Jesus would have experienced worship in all of these different locations. And what's really interesting, a bit of a rabbit trail here, is what do you think they sang? Most scholars think that they sang Psalm 118, which unfortunately we don't have time to get into today. You can go look at it later for extra credit. Maybe we'll look at it when we come around to the next Good Friday. But it's very, very interesting. That's the psalm that they would sing at the end of the Passover meal. Still sing it today. But if you look at the content of that, you see that it is very prophetic for what Jesus is about to do. Fascinating that he was about to, uh, what, what he was singing about was about to be fulfilled just a few hours later. So they sing this hymn, and this would have just been a part of Jesus's normal routines and rhythms. And if Jesus had times of focused worship, then we as his followers also are going to need times of focused worship. But as I said, the question is why? Why is it that we need to worship? I've got three reasons that I want to look at this morning. First of all, worship helps us encounter God. Worship helps us encounter God. See, when we worship, it's when the Spirit of God touches our human spirit. You know, worship isn't, of course, the only way that we encounter God, but it is one of the primary tools I believe we can use to encounter God. So just out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you would say you've encountered God in some way in worship? 
Okay, that's almost all of you. So I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Worship is the place where we encounter God, maybe the primary place we encounter God. And I, and I think that, that what happens is His Spirit touches our spirit. We are more than just physical beings. The Bible declares that we are spirit, soul, and body. And when our spirit encounters God, then something kind of comes alive in us. And I believe genuine worship hasn't happened until His spirit touches our spirit. So we're not just singing words, but we're engaging with God. And it might start off as singing words, you know. I, I, I don't always just, you know, a song begins and I'm like, boom, immediately into the presence of God. Sometimes it takes a while to get there, and there's a progression of that. That's why it says in Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. It's talking about how we begin to approach God. We start off with being grateful. We start off with being thankful. Maybe not starting off with complaints and all the things that aren't going right. We start with gratitude. We start with praise, and then we enter into worship, and his spirit begins to impact us. I like it how, um, you know, in those moments, there's just a transcendence that happens. It's like the, the words from the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, says, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I remember that experiencing that for the first time as a teenager. I was working at a summer camp, Christian summer camp, and we had an evening of worship with just the staff, and there was something about that night. Everybody just got into it, and we, we just began to worship together, and, and, and it just kept going and going, and there was a sense of just kind of the, the veil between earth and heaven getting very thin, and we began to enter into God's presence in a way I'd never experienced before, and, and I, I don't even remember. I, don't, I think I did end up bowing because there was just a sense of the holiness of God in the room and, 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 the, and reverence for him. And I, and I just had never done it before. I didn't even know if it was an appropriate thing to do, but just got on my knees there in the, that little aisle. And that was the first time I'd really ever experienced anything like that. I experienced it many times since. But that is where we encounter the presence of God. Secondly, worship transforms us. Worship is a transformative experience. When you worship Jesus and your genuine worship is happening, you can't help but walk out changed from that experience. You see, there's a sense in that we're shaped by whatever it is that we worship. If you think about all those things I listed off earlier, there's a sense in which those things shape you. They shape your values, they shape your beliefs, they shape your words, your actions. So when we worship Jesus... We are being shaped and formed into his image. And remember what we started off this whole series with in week one, the whole goal of Christianity is to become transformed into his image, to become like him, to look like him, to think like him, to talk like him, to, to do the things that Jesus did. So if we want to become like Jesus, one of the best things we can do is worship him. I love this quote from uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple. He's a brilliant guy. He says this. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. That's a great summary of what worship does. It, 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 helps awaken your hearts to God. You know, we can enter into worship and feel kind of like God's a million miles away, and all of a sudden we begin to worship, and 
our consciences are awakened. We become maybe aware of sin in our life that's hindering us. We become aware of the presence of God around us. It feeds the mind with the truth of God. I like that. That, that as we sing, you know, these songs that we're singing are often passages from the Bible that have just been set to music. We learn through the singing of these songs, and it feeds our spirits. It feeds our minds. And then to purge the imagination, we need a purging of our imagination. So many of us have just been slimed by the stuff from the world. And when we enter into the purity and the holiness of God's presence, it begins to cleanse us and wash us, and purify us, and it opens up our heart. We begin to, to suddenly begin to, as we encounter God in that place, we begin to talk with Him. We begin to uh, uh, simply open up our hearts to Him, and He meets with us there, and then our will is transformed. We begin to uh, be, we walk out of that a different person, more forgiving, more loving, more generous, more kind, more merciful. Now, just a bit of a rabbit trail here, but why is it that we sing? Like, what is it about worship that, that causes us to sing? <laughs> I mean, worship, I should say, is, is far more than singing. Like I said earlier, there's all kinds of expressions of worship. I, I think being silent and still can be just as much an expression of worship as singing your heart out. I believe choosing to resist temptation is just as much an expression of worship as studying the Scriptures. But what is it about singing? Why do we keep coming back to this? Well, I think that singing is, you know, many of us are uncomfortable with it, first of all. I mean, let's just acknowledge that, especially if you're a guy. We don't really like, it doesn't, you know, it's not a very manly thing to stand around and sing, unless you're at a football match, then you can sing your heart out. Uh, But a lot of us, you know, we're uncomfortable. We might be insecure about our voice. We don't like being emotional and expressive in front of other people. And so, we get kind of uncomfortable with this idea of singing out loud, but it's helpful to understand why we do it. We sing to God for the very same reason that people at Sheffield United or a Sheffield Wednesday match sing their hearts out when their team comes on the pitch. We sing, we sing for the very same reason that we write love songs when we fall in love or when we break up, we write breakup songs. We sing because singing is one of the best ways as humans that we have of expressing our emotion. So when we're singing to God, we're expressing emotion to Him. You see, God wants our emotions. In fact, He wants all of us. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And worship is the the one place I know of where we can really do all of those things. We bring our minds to it. You know, we're assenting to the truth of His Word. We bring our will to it. You know, we're making the choice to worship. Um, We love God with all of our strength. You know, our our physical posture matters in worship. I'd love to get into all that this morning because there's all kinds of postures. We can raise our hands. We can clap. We can kneel. We can lie prostrate before the Lord. We can jump. We can dance. All of those different things are expressions of worship to God. But also our emotions. We got to bring our emotions you know, if I didn't bring my emotions to my relationship with Lauren, if I intellectually assented to her that I loved her dearly, but, but never actually expressed it in any sort of emotional way, I don't think she would have been too moved by that. I don't think we would be married today as a result of that. But a lot of us, I think we approach God that way. We think, you know, we can be emotional about things like football or, or rock concerts or something like that, but we can't be emotional about God. We think that we have to, you know, when we come to church, we have to be quiet, we have to be pious, 
and, and no emotion, that's weird. If you're emotional about God, then, then you're possibly a part of a cult. That's kind of the mindset that we have, right? I mean, when people get really energetic and zealous about God and start uh, dancing and shouting and, and raising their hands, people get nervous. Oh, man, don't get excited about God. And yet God says, love me with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And that's why we've got to bring our emotions to the table when we worship. We've got to, we've got to bring our love to him. We've got to bring the full range of emotions to him. It doesn't just have to be the happy, clappy stuff. Read through the Psalms. You see the full range of what it's like to be a follower of God in this world. What, what happens? You know, you, you, have, you encounter God as your shepherd. There are times when you encounter God as your protector, your healer, your deliverer, your stronghold. All of these things. And there's times when God seems far away, when he seems distant, you seem dis, uh, and you're disappointed or you're grieving. All of these things are expressed. We need to bring those emotions to God. So don't come like, you know, trying to just, you know, go through the motions or pretend to feel something that you're not. God wants your heart. You've got to, and the heart is, is expressed often through our emotions. So bring those into the place of worship. So that is, that's why we sing. If you're British here, you've probably been trained to have a stiff upper lip, you know, to not express emotions. But that's, that does not apply to worship. You're allowed to cry in worship. You're allowed to shout in worship. You're allowed to clap your hands and be excited. I would love for our church to be as passionate in worship on Sunday morning as, as the, the pre-match chants are before, before some of the, the football matches that go on around here. That would really be exciting to me, especially the guys just leading it out, shouting with all their might. And I've seen that, by the way. I've seen a group. I went to a men's retreat a few years ago that... Uh, from day one, guys kind of just stood around like this. They weren't really interested in worship. But by the end, their hands were up in the air, and they were rejoicing. It took four days to get there, but we did get there in the end. It can happen. So I think worship, what, what happens is, is it bypasses the mind to access the heart. So that's why we sing. I realize it can be kind of a strange, weird thing that we do, but but what's happening is it's allowing us to express our emotion to God, and that is desperately needed. So what about, um, oh, I guess the final way of, <laughs> the final reason that we worship is that worship brings breakthrough. You know, some of us, we're trying to fix our problems ourselves. We're trying to save ourselves. We're trying to fix ourselves. We're trying to resolve our problems, and I'm not saying there's not times where we need to do that, where we need to take responsibility for something and, and take action for something. Those, those are good things, but there are times when, when trying to fix your problem and solve your problem on your own is just gonna, isn't going anywhere, and you just end up chasing your own tail. You just end up stuck in the mire of, of your own thought life, and it just seems like nothing is going to get you out of that situation. I think for some of us today, we need to stop trying to solve our own problems. We need to stop trying to fix all the issues that, and be our own savior. Instead, we need to simply fix our eyes on Jesus and worship our way into that breakthrough that we're needing, not think our way into it. Do you remember the story of Paul and Silas? Acts 16, Paul and Silas, these two young church, well, I don't know how young they were, but they were two church planters. And we're told about on one of their missionary journeys, they go to the Greek city of Philippi. 
When they get there, they're preaching the gospel as they normally do, telling people about Jesus. This demonized woman comes along and is harassing them. Paul casts the demon out of the person. This creates an uproar. She's set free, but everybody else is upset, and, and, and it picks up in verse, uh, Acts 16, 22. It says this, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. This is a bad day right here. (laughs) Here they are minding their own business. They're preaching the gospel. Well, maybe you could say they weren't minding their own business, but they weren't trying to create trouble. And this demonized person is harassing them. Paul sets her free, casts the demon out, And then they end up beaten with wooden rods. I mean, let's just think about that. Imagine being beaten with wooden rods after we walked out of church here today. Uh, We wouldn't be too happy about that. They're severely beaten, and then they're, they're put in a dungeon, and their feet are put in stocks. Now, a lot of us were familiar with this story, but I want to pause here. Think about what that was like for a minute. They're out there proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. They get punished for it. No, they didn't deserve it at all. And now they're, they're, they've been beaten. So they're, they're bleeding. They're swollen. They've got aches in their backs and in their arms and in their face. And now they're in this dark dungeon where there's hardly any light. They're sitting in, in a, on a wet stone or dirt floor. And instead of being able to get comfortable and lay down, their feet are sitting in stocks. So they can't even move to try to get in a more comfortable position. Imagine their feet have just gone numb because they're, they're cold and, you know, they can't move, so they've just fallen asleep, you know. I, I imagine that, that they were in, you know, probably hungry, probably thirsty, and they're just sitting down there, seemingly abandoned by God, abandoned by all the people that knew them, awaiting their fate. That's a bad day. <laughs> but look at their response. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. What a response. This is the opposite of what you'd think. I mean, they have this awful day, but they're not sitting there feeling sorry for themselves. They're not questioning God, saying, well, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? They're not, they're not focused on how unjustly they've been treated. They're not plotting their revenge. They're not planning their escape. They're not thinking about how much pain they're in or how uncomfortable they are. Instead, they did what the author of Hebrews exhorted us to do, which is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And they began to worship their hearts out. They began to to sing. They began to praise. And and, and instead of fixing their eyes on their circumstances, instead of fixing their eyes on their pain, instead of fixing their eyes on their problems, they began worshiping their hearts out. And can you imagine these two Jewish men who've been beaten? Maybe their their words are slurred because their lips are swollen. But there they are. And it says they've been worshiping. This this didn't just start at midnight. This had been going on for a while. And they're singing, and the prisoners are listening. Jesus, name above all names, 
beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. And they're singing. And their eyes are not on their circumstances anymore. Their eyes are fixed on Jesus. And then one of the suddenlies, the great suddenlies of scriptures happen. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. Uh, That's prophetic, by the way. Uh, That's a picture of what happens when you worship, that the doors that are shut that you will never be able to get open suddenly fly open. The chains that are on you that you would never be able to get off suddenly fall off, and suddenly you are free, whereas before there was no way, now there's a way. Sometimes worship is the answer. Sometimes getting our eyes off of our circumstances and off of our problems and off of our pain is the answer. When we just fix our eyes on Jesus, all kinds of options that weren't there before suddenly open up before us. So when we worship, we are worshiping in such a way, when we really connect with God, don't be surprised if breakthroughs happen, healings happen, uh, deliverances happen, uh, 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 freedom of whatever kind happens. God might speak to you in worship. He might, he might just whisper overtures of love to you in worship. There's all kinds of things that God wants to do. But more than anything, I think as we encounter him, he wants to bring breakthrough in our lives. So this is why we take time every Sunday to worship. We're believing that as we gather together, you know, there's something about the, the community of the body of Christ to gather here together uh, that, that God just loves. And when we're all standing here in agreement, worshiping Jesus together, then God, it just allows space for God to do things that, that doesn't normally happen. So we're going to take some time here to worship uh, and practice this because we figured there's no better way to learn how to worship than just to, to worship, right? But one last thing I want to say is that worship isn't just about, you know, gathering here in church or in your life group and worshiping there. Worship is something you can do privately as well, and it's never been easier. I mean, we've got YouTube with thousands upon thousands of hours of fantastic worship resources out there that you can listen to for free. Used to be you had to go buy an album or something. Now we don't even have to do that. Every one of us has, has a phone, I imagine, or some way to listen to the, the great worship that's out there. So I want to encourage you that, you know, start your day off by singing to God. Start your day off by just, or just even putting on worship and engaging, even if you can't, you know, sometimes we wake up and the last thing we can do is sing, but just simply putting on worship and just closing your eyes, fixing your eyes on Jesus, sometimes that's all that you need to begin to encounter him. So worship is something we do corporately. Worship is something we do privately. But as we do it, all of this develops those muscles and the capacity that we need to live a lifestyle of worship. So as I said, the best way to learn about worship is to worship. Just do it, and you'll, you'll, you'll catch what I'm talking about. And you know, today is Halloween, and on this day when our culture uh, loves to celebrate darkness and wickedness and evil and the things that are scary, we want to celebrate together the light of the world. We want to worship Jesus together. So if I could, let's, I want to invite you all to stand.
And we're going to take some extended time to worship. And if you need to sit during that time, that's fine. We will uh, take communion together as we progress through this. We're going to just be practicing worship. But this is the opportunity to talk about what we are to, to practice what we've been talking about, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to get our eyes off of ourselves, and to encounter him. Let's do that together. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.